Good afternoon. My name is Stuart Smith, and I will be your operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome you all to Night Foods Fiscal Third Quarter 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. All lines have now been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Following the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Terth Patel. Terth, please go ahead. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Terth Patel with LHA Investor Relations. Welcome to Night Foods Fiscal Third Quarter 2021 Financial Results and Business Update Conference Call. As has been Night Foods practice and as noted by the operator, prepared remarks will be followed by a question and answer session. During this call, management will be making forward-looking statements regarding Night Foods' expectations and projections about future events. Generally, forward-looking statements can be identified by terminology such as expects, anticipates, believes, or other similar expressions. These statements are based on current expectations and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those set forth in the company's periodic filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission. No forward-looking statements can be guaranteed, and actual results may differ materially from such statements. In particular, there is significant uncertainty about the duration and contemplated impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. This means results could change at any time and the contemplated impact of COVID-19 on night foods operations, financial results, and outlook is a best estimate based on the information for today's discussion. I also caution that the content of this conference call is accurate only as of the date of this broadcast, May 26, 2021. Night Food undertakes no obligation to revise or update comments made during this call, except as required by law. With that said, I'd like to turn the call over to Sean Folkson, Night Food's Chief Executive Officer. Sean? Thank you so much, Turf. Welcome to your first call with us. Uh, Turf Patel is with LHA Investor Relations. That's our newly appointed uh, Investor Relations Advisor. Uh, and a leader in investor relations for more than 30 years. And, you know, we mentioned previously uh, that we viewed 2021 as a transformative and transformational year. Part of that is bringing on an IR firm. Uh, with all the progress that we've made, it's time for us to increase awareness among both institutional and retail investors and help them understand the opportunity that we're creating and the upside involved. And so with that, I do want to touch on our major accomplishments of the last five months. Uh, to recap for everybody, since the year started, Night Food has more than doubled our store count through our recently announced Walmart distribution. Uh, we've eliminated 100% of the debt from our balance sheet, including all convertible debt. We brought on our new chief financial officer, Jerry Isaacson, who's a CPA with a tremendous um, amount of CEO level experience uh, in ice cream logistics, procurement, and management. And we are wrapping up a pilot retail test with one of the leading global hotel brands. Uh, we launched our new packaging into all of our retail accounts, and, and we do expect a lot more to come this year. Uh, anybody invested in Night Food is invested in the brand, they're invested in the company, and they're invested in the category. And it's the category of nighttime nutrition. And on the call a few months ago, we were talking about Pepsi launching a new drink to promote sleep and relaxation called Driftwell, and I indicated that it was kind of an indication of interest uh, that the big guys were really starting to pay attention to what we're doing. And now, 
just two months ago, Unilever, which is the world's largest ice cream company, they announced that they're launching a year-long study looking at the associations between the gut microbiome and sleep. And there's plenty of existing research that tells us that gut bacteria are, are very important and very involved in sleep quality and in the production of serotonin and melatonin, the regulation of circadian rhythms. Um, and Unilever is looking at ways that we can use diet and use nutrition to improve sleep and improve sleep quality. And again, this interest from the largest food companies now in the world uh, greatly substantiates the coming of the category, the category that our company pioneered and the company that uh, the category that our company continues to lead, and it validates the big idea, which caused me to dedicate my life to this vision years ago. And it also it also helps explain the attention that we're getting from the media, from retailers, and from the investment community. And with all the day-to-day development, uh, you know, the marketing campaigns and, and the scientific research and and the growing health literacy, you know, one thing remains constant. And that is that this category is coming. You've heard me say it before. The category has all the signals of being a billion-dollar category in the coming years. I know we've been at this for a couple of years. It's still early. We are making great progress. We're making progress as the leader and the pioneer and ultimately the king of the category in much the same way that Chobani is the king of Greek yogurt, five-hour energy is the king of energy shop. Again, in April... We announced coast-to-coast distribution with Walmart, and now that rollout is complete. We're in over 1,000 Walmart stores across the country. We've been on shelves for approximately five weeks now, and we have a major marketing initiative launching in about two weeks that we're very excited about. Uh, In that, hundreds of OBGYN offices in markets where we have heavy distribution, those offices will have night food promotional materials in their reception area, letting expecting moms know about night food uh, know about our endorsement by the American Pregnancy Association and informing them that they can try night food from their local stores. Another major initiative we have going on that most of you know about is our hotel test. That was initiated in Q1. We believe it's going very well. The test started uh, for the first few weeks with our original packaging. And our new packaging, uh, which had the initial production run at some point in February, uh, before that new packaging hit any supermarket shelves, the hotels received some for the retail test that's going on. And the feedback that we got was that sales increased when the new packaging was introduced, which, of course, is great for us to hear. Uh, now that the new packaging is in almost all of our retail locations, we're very excited about uh, anticipated consumer trial and repurchase rates and the impact that those will have on our sales and revenue numbers as we move through 2021, further validating the category. So now I'd like to turn to our recent financial results. For the quarter ended March 31st, 2021. Remember, that's our third quarter since we're on a June 30th fiscal year end. We had gross product sales of $181,172. Net revenues were $96,762. And total operating expenses were $487,567. Through the nine months ended March 31st, net revenue was up 19% over last year at $271,000 approximately, while gross sales were down 3% at $643,000. And gross sales being down in the quarter and down by 3% year to date, that's primarily a function of the fact that in the March 31st quarter last year, we onboarded two major Albertsons divisions. When a new store or chain adds a product, 
they have to place large orders to stock their shelves and fill their distribution pipeline. This year, through the first nine months, we added distribution through smaller independents and UNFI, which is a large distributor of health and natural products, but there were no major chains brought on during this fiscal year prior to March 31st. Uh, there were no major chains brought on until Walmart, which was added in April. So those first Walmart orders uh, are not showing up in the, in the reported numbers yet. Those first Walmart orders will count towards our upcoming filing, which would relate to our fiscal fourth quarter, which is the quarter that we're in right now. Now, as many of you noted um, in the discussion group, slotting expenses down drastically from last year. The year-to-date numbers were approximately $190,000 this year through nine months, compared to $428,000 through the nine months last year. And for the last year, for the full fiscal year, slotting expenses were $541,000 for the full year. This year, we're projecting around $240,000 for slotting. Uh, as of the date of our filing last week, we had almost doubled our fiscal 2020 net revenue numbers already with approximately six weeks remaining in the fiscal year. So this fiscal year, which ends in a few weeks, this is going to be our biggest year, both in terms of gross sales and in terms of net revenue. Now, the big financial news from April is that we've cleaned up our balance sheets, we eliminated all of our debt, and well over half of our payables, and that happened in April with our $4.5 million financing round and some renegotiations. And from the interactions I've had personally with investors, I don't get the sense that the strength of our balance sheet now is really fully appreciated. You know, through these renegotiations, our largest debt holder exchanged all of their remaining debt for equity, and that signals their confidence in our current positioning for future growth. I'm extremely proud of what we've been able to accomplish in the last few months. The company's in great shape going forward. I will use that word transformational. Again, this is going to be a transformational year. And with that update, uh, we can jump right into the question and answers. Okay, great. Thanks, Sean. The first question today comes from Lawrence. He's actually got three. One, does the company see the need for additional funding? And if so, when and how? Um, also, he asks, please explain the lower revenue in the last fiscal quarter as it relates to sales of product in existing stores pre-Walmart. And also, his third question is, can you share any initial results at Walmart? Sure. So on the first question about the additional funding, we're a growth stage company with a big vision. We're going to need capital, and we're going to be op opportunistic when it's in the best interest of the company and our shareholders. On the second question about revenues, um, you know, the fact that gross sales or net revenues decline or increase from one period to another, that's not a sign that the product is moving faster or slower in retail. It's just a function of when orders are placed by our wholesale customers. Because we still have a handful of wholesale customers that make up the majority of our revenue, the timing of their wholesale orders and the size of what they choose to order uh, can skew our quarterly results. In other words, an order coming in a few days before the end of the quarter or an order coming in a few days after the start of the next quarter. Um, you know, likewise, when new retail accounts come on board, they need to order to fill their shelves and fill their pipeline. And those pipeline fill orders are typically much larger than the replenishment orders, especially the first replenishment orders would be. So last year's March 31st numbers were enhanced uh, by Shaw's and Jewel, those are two of the obvious divisions I mentioned, uh, 
ordering and delivering during that March 31st quarter. And then as it turns out, because of the pandemic, we didn't get on shelf in most of those stores until April and really May for most of them. So the numbers from quarter to quarter, as we mature, they will likely tell more of a complete story. Um, in terms of Walmart results, we're seeing strong growth through the first few weeks, but that's to be expected. We're a new product. Uh, we expect that growth to accelerate when our two big initiatives launch in early June, but it's really too early to start drawing meaningful conclusions or getting ahead of ourselves. Thanks, Sean. Our next question comes from Joe, who asks, are you concerned about marketing to pregnant women during a time when birth rates are dropping sharply? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is a case of over-analysis. You know, it's true that birth rates are lower than in recent years. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's about 7%. I don't know if I would use the, you know, the words dropping sharply to describe that. But, you know, we expected a decrease in birth rates. I remember last year, a little more than a year ago, when the pandemic first hit, there were some, some people, you know, talking on social media. Uh, Damon John from Shark Tank was one of them, uh, that there was going to be a baby boom, and then some experts came around and said, well, you know, we think actually the exact opposite is going to be true. Um, you know, if pregnancies are down by, by the projected 7%, I, I view that as really 100% immaterial to us. It would be different if we were an established company that really counted on uh, the pregnancy market, and we had a, a, share, um, a share of that market, a significant share of that market to protect, and we were set to lose, you know, 7% of, of sales because of lower birth rates or something like that. But we do expect significant penetration into the pregnancy market in the coming years, and it's starting from a base that's close to zero. So whether there's 3.7 million births a year or 4 million or 4.2 million, for us, it's still a massive number of households for us to enter on the strength of the endorsement from the American Pregnancy Association as the official ice cream. And with our brand recognition growing rapidly in the pregnancy market, this kind of decrease in birth rate, you know, doesn't really present any meaningful resistance for us to, you know, capture an important piece of that consumer base. Our next question comes from Tom, who asks why the night food packaging doesn't have protein content featured more prominently. Well, we want to be known for one thing, and that's sleep friendly. Part of that is protein, part of that is fiber, right? Part of that is our vitamins and minerals and enzymes and less sugar and less fat and fewer calories. And, and I think, you know, if you take a look at the old and the new packaging for Halo Top as an example, you'll see that on their original packaging, they had protein call-outs, they had uh, call-outs related to net carbs, calorie count, and other conflicting elements on the right, you know, right on the front panel. And on their redesign, which was very smart, they focused on one thing, and that was calorie count. So all they focused on. They mentioned protein, but it's down in the corner. Consumers got it in a split second, and the rest is history. You know, we do mention protein content in, in multiple places, two different places on our pints, but we don't do it in a way, and intentionally we don't do it in a way, that would compete, with, um, uh, compete for attention with our sleep-friendly messaging. Okay, great. Thanks, Sean. Next, we have John asking for an update on the hotel test. Sure thing. So I want to be clear, we don't know anything official yet, but it's my understanding that the test is going very well. Uh, the last update that I received about timing was that they'll be wrapping up soon and then analyzing. This is a test that they're doing on a handful of new and premium brands across a handful of categories, uh, ice cream, other snacks, beverages, wines, et cetera. And the timing 
has shifted on it a few times, but last I heard it is winding down. Um, they were testing things independently and then some things together. And while some items uh, we were told were being tested only for a one-month segment, they wanted night food in there for the entire test. Uh, I know during one portion of the test, they had us in the freezer case uh, alone in, 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 uh, in some of the properties. Now they're testing us alongside pints from one of the, you know, one of the national brands. Um, so that's something that they're looking at differently. We haven't gotten much feedback or reporting, but, you know, the one thing we know and we feel great about is that um, when we started the test, we were using the original packaging. I mentioned this earlier. And when they went to the new packaging, they said that uh, they did see a significant increase in velocity. Um, and that was a, a very positive sign for us. And in fact, uh, they just asked us to ship more product out, which is, uh, is delivering tomorrow. Um, so the test is not over, but I do get the feeling that it's, uh, it's wrapping up soon. Okay, thanks, John. We've now got a question from Beth, who asks if you have any plant-based or keto products in the works. Yeah, thanks. Um, we are in the process of doing some development and formulation work. We just actually got some comments uh, the other day from, uh, from Chef Chris Santos on some of our samples. Um, and we're always looking to improve the product line, and we have some new ideas and ingredients uh, that we're excited about being able to introduce in the summer or the fall. Uh, these are the evolutions to our existing recipes with, you know, new benefits or additional benefits in terms of sleep support, taste, texture, nutritional profile, that type of thing. Um, at this point, I would say we don't expect to enter the plant-based or keto space in the short term. Our focus is very clearly on night snacking. Uh, you know, there is a significant percentage of growth in dairy-free and in keto, but I want to point out the actual size and scope of what we're dealing with. The global ice cream market is about $60 billion, according to reports, and it projects uh, in about five years to be close to $100 billion. Non-dairy currently makes up less than 1% of that, according to the research that I've seen. Not 50%, it's not 20%, not 10%. It's, it's, it's 1%. And it projects to grow significantly as well over the next five years. And by significantly, the projections are that it looks like it's going to get close to 2%. So I know that non-dairy is, is super hot and hip. Um, there's tons of brands out there rushing to compete for that 1%, which is going to grow to 2%. And, and certainly we were, we were looking to do that as well. Um, but upon further review, what we, what we learned is our space is and needs to remain sleep-friendly. So for the other 98 to 99% of ice cream consumption, that's what we're focused on, and we're going to focus on our sleep-friendly products. And the keto trend is the same thing. I think the absolute numbers are actually a little bit lower in terms of ice cream consumption, but it's the same concept. We don't want to go chasing into other niches where we're not the leader, we're not the creator, and we're not going to be the king. We've carved out our niche. It's in our name. It's in our product. It's in our DNA. It's sleep-friendly and it's proudly on the front of every pint. And if, if we do our job right, then maybe in a year or two, the CEO of Oatly and the CEO of, you know, whatever other dairy, non-dairy ice cream companies are out there or the CEOs of other snack food companies, they should start being asked when they're going to introduce their sleep-friendly products. But we do not anticipate going into other niches at this stage. Um, again, it might be more hip. Um, because that's what a couple of percentage of the people want right now, and it's getting a lot of media buzz. But, again, we believe it's more important to help the other 90, 
95, 99% of the people with their nighttime snacking through those sleep-friendly products. And that is our most direct path to shareholder value, right? It's powerfully establishing ourselves as the king of nighttime nutrition, the king of the sleep-friendly nutrition category. And we can't do that if we're going to chase into other niches that don't tie directly into helping people sleep better through nutrition. Thanks, Sean. We've got one final question. Adam asks, how is Night Food building a competitive moat around its product category? Are you concerned that a big company like Unilever, with their new test, could come in and steal the category from you? That's just not the way these things tend to work. The larger players don't enter a market until there's a recognized significant consumer appetite. Um, just within the last week or two, Hershey's, uh, which everybody knows, is a pretty big candy company, they acquired a company called Lily's Sweets, which is a, a low-sugar candy company for around $400 million, according to the reports that I've seen. Um, a couple of months ago, Mondelez, um, which is the makers of Oreo uh, cookies, right? they acquired Hue chocolate for reported $340 million. So if you've got Hershey's buying out other candy companies, if you've got Mondelez buying out existing candy companies for hundreds of millions of dollars, it's not because they don't think that they could theoretically create a competitor in the space. It's because they don't want to launch and compete in new niches and, and have to try to chase every trend. They would rather sit and wait and acquire. Acquisition is their preferred method of entering markets. Unilever, Nestle, General Mills, Kellogg's, all the global food conglomerates, they run the same playbook. A famous example I use, and some people may have heard me talk about this before, is Hormel. They own Skippy Peanut Butter. But a few years ago, they acquired a company called Justin's Nut Butter for about $300 million. And so, you know, why not just stick with a natural version of Skippy's instead? And, and that's just not how it works. That's not how they operate. The Unilever test, I can't underscore. It's a huge validation for us. Um, I, I think it puts a lot of big eyeballs on us. We're excited for the results because it can push the whole category forward. But a study by Unilever and the interest from the other global players, it just shows that they're sniffing out the opportunity in sleep nutrition, but as the category pioneer and creator, we also have the inside track to being the category king. I don't think we're in imminent danger from one of the big guys trying to come in until the category develops a bit further, until the concept of the importance of better nighttime snacking is more ingrained in the consumer consciousness. And by the time that happens, I believe we will have established ourselves as the undisputed leaders in the space. And that's typically the way these things play out. And that's why the big guys don't typically innovate. Okay. Thanks, Sean. That was the last question. Any closing remarks? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the theme is this. I encourage everybody to take the long view. This is still very early in the journey. I do expect things to continue to accelerate. Obviously, we've accomplished so much this year. I encourage you not to overreact. We're going to have a bigger quarter this quarter. Don't overreact uh, when sales jump or, uh, you know, when, when something goes up or down, right? Have the bigger view, the bigger picture. The market we're launching into is massive. The global food and beverage giants are validating the space, which is great for us. Consumer trends are turning more towards sleep than ever, and the company is growing and getting stronger and better positioned. We talked about 2021 being transformative not even half over and we've accomplished so much. Walmart, the hotel test, the clean balance sheet, we're newly capitalized. And of course, there's more in the works. We're very excited about what 2021 holds for all of us. And I thank you all for your time, your support, 
and your participation.